from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm joined by members of my Inner Circle Club, for a fascinating conversation about a wide range of issues and topics on their minds. We hold these regular video conference calls so that we can have an honest discussion about what is happening in America today. I find it extraordinarily helpful to me personally in helping think through the issues that are facing us. So I hope you'll find this episode of Newt's World informative. And if you'd like to become a member of my Inner Circle Club, please go to newtsinnercircle.com and sign up for a one- or two-year membership today. A couple things. The election in Argentina of a libertarian candidate who is clearly totally outside the mainstream of Argentinian politics is one more example of a pattern happening around the world. We just saw it this very same week. We saw the most conservative leader in Holland, end up with 37% of the vote, which is a multi-party system. The next person down was about 24%. So you can imagine how big a change that is. People in Holland are shocked. 15 years ago, this guy was considered a nut and was considered totally unacceptable. But the immigration problem in Holland has gotten so bad that it really has had an impact. We've now seen conservatives win in South Korea, Greece, Italy, Slovakia, Hungary, Finland, and Holland. We've seen the rise of a very aggressive populist conservative movement in Germany, and we've seen continued strength growing for Le Pen and the conservative movement in France. So it's really interesting. Meanwhile, of course, Great Britain is probably the biggest mess I can remember. I don't remember, as somebody who studies British history, I'd have to really think a while to remember the last time that the Conservative Party was as totally screwed up as it is right now. Probably Labor is going to win an election there. One of the interesting things I've been looking into is that the British Socialist National Health Service has 7,200,000 people on waiting lists. 
They have thousands who have been waiting over a year. You can imagine how Americans would behave if we had proportionate to our population, 21 or 22 million people on waiting lists to get health care. But that's how bad the system is. It's not getting better. But there's something about British culture that they just can't come to grips with it. So that's a fascinating side note. Meanwhile, I'm told by good friends in Canada that Trudeau is collapsing, is becoming a joke, and that it's very likely the Conservatives will win in Canada. All of these, I think, are indicators that should give us some hope that 2024 could be a very good year. The capital remains a mess. I think it's, to me, interesting to see how the new speaker, Mike Johnson, is doing. He's been very methodical. His problem is that he's got to find the last six or eight votes, and they may not be there. The margins are so narrow. And if Kevin McCarthy ends up resigning, and I'm told one other member may resign in January, they really could be down to a margin of one or at the most two votes. Well, when you're at that kind of a margin, you've got enough people who are mavericks who are going to go off on their own just because they enjoy the attention and they like being treated badly by everybody else. It somehow makes them feel good. I think Johnson faces a huge challenge. On the other hand, you can see things are shifting in very fundamental ways. I read an article this morning, which I'll be writing about, that a 94-year-old World War II veteran was being forced out of his nursing home so that they could put Biden's illegal immigrants in there. You'll be hearing me say a lot in the near future about Biden's illegal immigrants. I think if everybody would always put the word Biden in front of illegal immigrants, we'd begin to communicate to people that this is a policy problem. It's not a random accident, but it's in fact a very deep policy problem. One last thing, I guess, before we toss it open, and I was very sad to hear about Henry Kissinger passing away. Henry and I have been very good friends since the 1980s. He's been a very good friend to Callista. Chatted with her about her going to the Vatican. It was very encouraging to her and very positive. Claire and I actually had lunch with him back in 2017, literally about three weeks after Callista went to the Vatican as the ambassador. I happened to be back in the States. We were doing some business in New York, and Henry agreed to have a nice lunch with us, and he was amazing. And maybe when she comes back on, Claire, I'll take just a minute and tell you about what her view is a, a much younger woman compared to some old guy like me. I would be like, I used to kid Henry that he's 20 years older than me. I would call him and say, you know, I need your advice on aging. And he would say, well, you're not old enough yet. You know, call me in a decade. He was a brilliant intellectual and wrote very important books. He was, I think, the best American diplomat of the 20th century, changed history, opening up China, using them to counterbalance the Russians, getting to arms limitation agreement with the Russians, ending the war in Vietnam, for which he got the Nobel Peace Prize, a whole series of things where Kissinger was just a remarkable human being. We will miss him. He and his family are in our prayers, and Clist and I were, really were very fond of him. He was a great national treasure. We have a segment we're doing, working on a new pilot project called Journey to America, which is a series right now in the pilot stage of three 30-minute videos that look at the lives of people who came to America legally and made us a better country. Henry had agreed, and back in January, we interviewed him. It's a very touching video. Why don't you take 90 seconds, Claire, and tell us what your reaction was to being able to go and have lunch with Henry Kissinger. Thank you, Newt. Yes, today when I heard of the very tragic news of Dr. Kissinger's passing, I reflected on 
the lunch that we had a couple of years ago, it was when we first started really working on the China book and having the opportunity to meet with Dr. Kissinger, who really paved the way towards the United States, understanding more about the large country with a 5,000 year long civilization. But I think what is, you know, growing up reading about Dr. Kissinger and just reading his writings, you know, what struck me the most about him is there was never a question that was too big, that was too hard or too complicated to try to tackle. And especially in the last couple of things that he's done on AI, he's been a huge spokesperson for that, written a great book on it. And I think, you know, his legacy will endure and will continue to consult Dr. Kissinger's work and writings as we move forward. So he'll be greatly missed. Was there anything, by the way, about him that surprised you? That surprised me? His story of coming over to the United States, the Journey to America interview about his journey coming over here and, you know, his appreciation for our country and the values that it stood for and how he dedicated his life to defending those and promoting those all throughout his career and around the world, I think was really remarkable. So that interview you and Callista did with him really was insightful. Good. All right. So you want to toss it open for questions? I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. On to questions. The first one is a write-in newt, and this comes from Jeff in Armarillo, Texas. Mr. Speaker, What do you think are the top issues on voters' minds right now as we head into the 2024 election cycle? 
Well, I think the number one issue will be inflation, the economy, the cost of living. And I think that that continues to dominate. Although I was very struck in Argentina, they have a 124% inflation rate. We currently are at about 3.2%. We peaked last year at about 7.6%. And we thought that was horrifying. Can you imagine trying to live in a country that had a 124% annual inflation rate? It was astonishing. So number one will be the economy. And in particular, I think will be the question of the price of goods, the availability of goods. I think number two is going to be a combination of Biden's illegal immigration, drugs that are out of control, and crime. The three woven together because they all relate to each other. Two reports recently, New York City last year had $4 billion shoplifted from its stores, all of which, of course, gets passed on to the consumer. The other example is Washington, D.C., where on Thanksgiving Day, we had our 900th carjacking. And in the last month, we had carjackers try to carjack a Secret Service Suburban and got shot at by the Secret Service. And yesterday, I've not seen the story, but tried to carjack an FBI car. So I think it's fair to say that the whole issue of controlling the border, immigration and crime, and and then the fact that we're losing over 100,000 Americans a year to drugs will be the number two issue. And I have a hunch that education may become the number three issue. If you want to compete with China and you want to be the leading country in the world, you can't have, for example, the Baltimore City Schools with five high schools in which not a single student, not one, can do math. Not a single student out of five high schools. That's impossible to sustain as a country. So I think that may become a much hotter issue by next year. That's just my personal overview. Thank you, Newt. The next question comes from Hal. Good evening, Mr. Speaker. It's very clear that President Trump is the front runner for the GOP nomination. And if he is the nominee, I will vote for him, no question. But he can only serve four years. He brings a lot of baggage with him in terms of lawsuits and so forth. And he can certainly turn out the Democratic vote. I am really concerned about his ability to beat Joe Biden even though the polls show he can. I would be curious about your thoughts, please. Well, first of all, that assumes Biden will be the nominee, which he probably will be. The difference in their age is much greater than the difference in their age. Chris and I both have seen Trump recently. He's dynamic. He's totally engaged. He's active. When you see Biden, you're looking at somebody who is rapidly becoming old. And you see that with his cognitive problems and you see it with other things. So I think the odds are very, very high that Biden will be the Democratic nominee, but not 100%. Trump is something very unusual in American history. He's not really a candidate. He is the leader and champion of a national movement. And that's a very different phenomenon. And I would not underestimate the potential he has. Everywhere I go, when you get outside the biggest cities, The amount of support that's there for Trump, not for the Republicans, but for Trump, is astonishing. I would not underestimate how real that is and how deep that is. Thank you, Newt. The next question comes from Gordon. Gordon says, the most striking thing about the congressional hearings on government censorship was that Democrats are in the position of defending it. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I think the left everywhere in the modern world believes that if they can just shut you up, that they can win. And you see this, there was just a lawsuit in Finland about a woman who had read from the Bible. And if you read parts, particularly the Old Testament, they're very tough, for example, if you're a gay activist. And so there was a law that said you couldn't say certain things. Well, she was saying them, but she was saying them by reading the Bible. There was a pastor a couple years ago who was threatened with imprisonment in Sweden for the same reason. So there's a real tradition on the left of trying to coerce you, to shut you up, to block you from having any kind of dissent. And it's a real problem. I was very struck yesterday at the American Legislative Exchange Council meeting that there's a real effort underway, particularly in places like Arizona, to take on the public universities and take on the professors who are so committed to an anti-American left-wing value system. And frankly, I'm beginning to think that we ought to take away the tax deductibility of the big universities. When Harvard makes a billion dollars a year off of its investments, it really doesn't need to be treated as though it's a charity. And that makes it very difficult to influence Harvard because they have so much money, they don't care what their alumni say. You can't starve Harvard out. It's just too rich. The next question, Newt, comes from Edward. Newt, it would seem to me that there's a core element. Obviously, the majority would appear of so-called Republican Party that support Trump, but in of themselves are not sufficient to carry the ball over that 50% line, assuming that the popular vote is something analogous to the college, and that he needs to get the dissident Republicans on board and then hope they can get enough swing voters. <clears throat> Yet this hatred for Trump that exists in this constant resistance, whether it's the McConnells, the Romneys, whatever it is, they're willing to shoot themselves in the foot and lose an election just to spite. Do you think there's any chance at all that the Republican Party could say, like the Democrats, hey, look, if we're going to win this thing, we got to just bury this thing, unite behind the mega agenda, because those are the key policies that people want. Let's just go for the goal and make sure we win this thing and finally come together and put this to spike whether we like him or not. Is there any chance that that could happen? I think you'll see almost everybody fall in line if the choice is Biden versus Trump. There will be a hardcore, bitter group. But that's partially because Trump represents a genuine revolution. We are gaining votes among African-Americans. We're gaining votes among Latinos. We're gaining votes among Asian-Americans. We're gaining votes among the blue-collar, white, construction worker, minor, you know, people who work with their hands. In a sense, we're, Trump is recreating Franklin D. Roosevelt's coalition. The Democrats are shrinking into college graduates, universities, news media, and bureaucrats, and then lawyers. That's the core group of the Democratic Party, and to some extent, the labor union leadership, but not necessarily the labor union members. So the net result of all that is that, let's say you're a Republican with a graduate degree you may feel real tension to be with your friends who are anti-Trump rather than with your values, which might be pro-Trump. But I think on balance, Trump is attracting more new voters than he's losing among old Republicans. I'm going to read this question from Kurt, who wrote in, I am wondering how can a country like Argentina adopt the dollar? Has this happened before? There have been occasions, it's usually done as a practical matter. That is, the most common currency in the world, I am told, is the American $20 bill. And there are apparently just an enormous number, far more $20 bills 
outside the United States than inside. So in a lot of countries, if you have like 124% inflation, you actually give people a discount if they'll pay in dollars. And so you get a de facto transition. And I think he's going to find it easy to have a de facto conversion rate and very, very hard to actually make it the official currency. And part of the reason is, if you're sitting out there and you've worked all your life and all of your savings are in pesos, you have to worry about if you shift to a dollar, does that devalue everything you have? And so it becomes very complicated to actually make it an official transition. The next question comes from Matthew. Yes, Mr. Speaker, do you consider Islam a long-term threat to the country? I believe that the radical Sharia wing of Islam is a threat to everybody, because I think it is a religiously inspired dictatorial system, quite prepared to kill you if you don't agree with it. I find it's, for example, ironic that a substantial number of gay Americans are taking a position in favor of Hamas, when in fact, if they were in Gaza, they would be thrown off the roof of the nearest tall building. You find the same thing happening with women who are for women's rights. And then you go and you look at what actually happens to women in places like Iran. There's a significant long-term problem. And I don't know how we're going to solve it because having allowed, as the French have, for example, and the British have, huge numbers of people in it, as the Biden illegal immigration is now here, you suddenly have a large number of people who not only have no interest in being assimilated into your society, they are actively hostile to it. They don't believe in it. And so that creates an internal tension that we really have not had before. And I think it's going to be a big long-term problem. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now we're going to turn it over to Thomas for his question. There's about 10 million illegal aliens, immigrants, whatever you want to call them, now in the United States, or will be by Joe, is no longer present. The end game is, what do we do with them? And you responded that you hope they become active, engaged employers, employees of the American dream. And I hope so, too. But it looks like a whole bunch of them might not want that dream. What do we do with the X million of them who don't want that dream, who don't want the American dream? You know, the you picket fence, the house and everything. Yeah. You deport them. I've said publicly now for the last five or six weeks, any student who's here on a student visa who is demonstrating in favor of Hamas should be deported the next day. I mean, we don't have some obligation to allow people who are for hatred and terrorism in the United States. Now, you have a different set of challenges if it's an American citizen. But in terms of dealing with with people who come here, I would have very tough screens for people who get to stay here who come illegally because they've already proven they're willing to break the law. And so I would have some pretty high hurdles for them to stay. And part of the key to that, which even Trump was not willing to take on, is to say to the employers of this country, You can only hire people who have legal government identification. You can't have some underground economy where you're hiring all sorts of folks and paying them, you know, cash and sustaining what is in essence an illegal economy. And I can tell you from my own experience, places like the Chamber of Commerce are very aggressively pro-immigration because they want a less expensive workforce. Richard asks, what do you think will come of several states trying to remove Trump from the ballot in the upcoming election? Nothing. The Democrats have lots of lawyers, and the lawyers believe in waging what they call lawfare. We have to spend money defending it. We have to fight our way through it. But the idea that the 14th Amendment adopted to eliminate Confederate traitors from running for federal office somehow applies to somebody who, by the way, has not been proven and has not even been charged with leading an insurrection. Even the most radical Department of Justice lawyers have not charged Trump with being an insurrectionist. So the whole framework of the 14th Amendment has no bearing on Donald Trump being allowed to run. And furthermore, if you think about it, you have a guy who's been president, he's gotten 73 million votes, he's currently the front runner, he's currently leading the incumbent president, You're going to say to 80, 90, or 100 million Americans that some judge is going to block them from having the right to vote for their candidate? That's really a dangerous road to go down. The next question comes from Bill. I get frustrated with these requests for funds from Republican leaders who haven't really earned them. As soon as Mike Johnson got the speakership, I got emails and text messages asking for money, helping him. Same for Comer. I'll give them money when they accomplish something. I think they need to earn it, just like we do in business. Those are two very different problems. In the case of Johnson, he's taking over from one of the best fundraisers we've ever had. Kevin McCarthy raised $480 million. So here comes Johnson 
who in the last cycle raised 500,000. And he's now the speaker, and he's got to raise the money to be able to be effective in dealing with getting Republicans elected next year. So that's just practical necessity from a standing start. And he's done pretty well. He's supposed to, I think, tonight be raising $4 million in New York, raised a couple million dollars at Congressman Buchanan's place in Sarasota a couple of days ago. So, I mean, he's really working at this. He understands that's a significant part of the job of being speakers. You got to raise the resources to get your team reelected. In the case of Comer, I actually think he's doing a heck of a job. There are a lot of guys, I agree with you, they just, particularly if they're senators who aren't up for another four years, you know, they just want to raise the money. But Comer, as chairman, has been very systematically exposing stuff, some of which is amazing. And I think you're going to see them continue to do that. And I would give him, considering how hostile the elite media is to anything which involves telling the truth about what I call the Delaware Sopranos, the Biden family, I think that Comer's doing a pretty decent job. We have a question from Carol who asked me to read it to you. Carol says, with the release of the January 6th tapes, what do you think of the chances of ridding the insurrectionist attitude and getting our political prisoners out of jail? What I've recommended to the House Republicans is that they very methodically put together what really happened and then what is it we were told happened and how did the January 6th committee operate? And how did the Justice Department operate? I mean, if you look at all these things, there are a lot of Americans who, compared to what happens to somebody who, for example, becomes part of a flash gang stealing $250,000 from a store, compared to how they're dealt with, we had people who have been really very aggressively attacked by their own government. And there's increasing evidence that they actually had the Capitol Police inviting them in. I mean, I don't understand all this. It's a complicated story. But everyone I've talked to says that these videos are just devastating to the case that the left was trying to make. The next question comes from Jim. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This Vivek Ramaswamy, he's trying to model himself after Trump, and seems like he has a lot of good points about trying to get people back to work and a lot of the points that Trump made. Do you think there's any chance Trump would name him as his vice president to pull in the younger people? I don't, but that's because I think Ramaswamy had a very good opening act. I like him. We've done three podcasts with him. He's very smart. He's very successful. I think he's had two companies that he created that are over a billion dollars each. But I thought that he's kind of like a guy who had a good opening act, but he didn't have a second act. And so I think he needs to probably spend some time growing up, learning a little bit more, thinking some more. And I think he probably has lost ground in the last month or two. And I think the polling indicates that. And that makes him frustrated. So he gets a little more shrill, which actually further hurts his case. So my guess is I'd be very, very surprised if Trump were to pick him to be the vice presidential nominee. Good evening, Newt. What are your thoughts regarding the left's motivation behind the fixation on force feeding transgenderism on our children? What is their end game here with this fixation? Look, I think there's a large part of the left that hates America and hates middle-class values, hates the whole sense of conformity, and hates the idea of the work ethic. They are for anything which undermines America. And obviously, the whole transgender notion challenges everything from the God create man and woman to the orderly structure of marriage to clear roles. 
And so to the degree that they can basically claim that you get to invent who you are. And if you wake up Tuesday and you decide you're a man, then our job is to treat you like a man. And if you wake up Wednesday and you think you're a woman, our job is to switch and learn how to treat you as a woman. That creates a kind of relativism, which just undermines the entire civilization. And I think that that's their ultimate goal, is to, on every front, if they can undermine Western civilization for some reason, they regard that as a great step towards a better future. And the last question this evening is a write-in from Kyle. Kyle says, the Pentagon just announced that the Department of Defense will increase aggregate DEI spending to almost $270 million to further its diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility agendas from 2022 to 2024. To increase military recruitment, does it really need to spend nearly a third of a billion dollars to polarize and fixate on race, gender, and sexual orientation rather than adhere to a racially and gender-blind inclusive meritocracy? My view would be if Speaker Johnson's looking for offsets for spending, that'd be a good $230 million to save the American people and cut it out. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's destructive. And I think a significant part of the current recruiting problem is that people don't want to go, you know, if you're trying to recruit people who want to be the best and you're trying to recruit people who are willing to risk their lives to save their country, and then you say to them now, you hear the 53 pronouns you have to learn, they just think you're nuts. I've watched the current generation of leaders. I had a very serious former three-star general say to me that the next president should ask every officer above two stars to resign just because you've got a clean house and you got to move towards profoundly rethinking what's going on because these guys are so bad. Then their performances have been so bad. They said the Russians will be in Kiev in four days. They're still not in Kiev. They said that the Taliban wouldn't be in Kabul. They got in Kabul way before the Joint Chiefs thought they would. Nobody on our side apparently was aware of what's going to happen on October 7th. Just go down case after case after case, and it's very troublesome. We need reform of the Pentagon more than we need extra money. I am delighted to have this chance to report to you and to listen to your questions and ideas. I really value the idea of our getting together. And if you find this useful, I hope that you will tell your friends and encourage them to join and encourage them to go to Gingrich 360. And I can tell you that I think this is a very helpful program and I hope you find it useful. And I look forward to reporting it again in the near future. Thank you for listening. And thank you to members of my Inner Circle Club. And if you'd like to become a member, please go to newtsinnercircle.com and sign up for a one or two year membership today. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast 
is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.